There's something about light that's just nice, don't you think? Uh, If you've ever been into the solitary confinement cell at the old Dubbo jail, you know, and you shut the door and uh, you've experienced that pitch blackness where you put your hand in front of your face and you just can't see a thing. I don't know about you, but I don't have to be in there all that long before I'm starting to feel a little uneasy. But with the light on, it's not nearly as bad because light just seems to reassure us. Light just seems to make us feel safer. You hear a lot about people who are afraid of the dark, but not so many people who are afraid of the light. Unless, of course, you're a vampire. But that's because the majority of us, light lifts our spirit. Uh, Light makes us happy. That's why in real estate magazines, if they want to sell a house to you, they describe it as having light-filled rooms. It makes us want to be in them. There's just something about light. It's nice. Well, they're the sorts of thoughts and feelings which the Apostle John taps into for us this morning at the beginning of our Bible passage when he writes the words, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now, these words follow very carefully, very closely on from what we heard last week. If you were here last Sunday, hopefully you'll remember that John opened his letter by saying that God had appeared on earth as Jesus Christ. This isn't a made-up fairy tale. It really happened. John himself said he was an eyewitness to it. To it. The Son of God really had appeared in history as the man, Jesus Christ. But last week, if it was all about the appearing of the man, this week it's all about the message that the man brought with him. And the message, John says, the message we heard from Jesus and declare to you is this. God is light. Now, what does that mean? That's what I'd like us to think about this morning. What does it mean that God is light? And not only what does it mean about God, but what does it mean for us? Because that's very much the flow of the passage. The logic of these verses are what it means about God, that he is light, and therefore what does it mean about us. And it's all leading to a wonderful conclusion about what it means concerning our need for Jesus, who has appeared. But first things first, let's let's think about what does it mean that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Well, in the Bible, light is quite a common image It's an especially important one for symbolising God's presence and his guidance. During the Exodus in the Old Testament, God led Israel through the desert as a pillar of fire to give them light. And in John's Gospel, Jesus really picks up on that event when he describes himself as the light of the world. And by that, Jesus meant that he is the very presence of God in the world come to lead his people to salvation. And just like the light from a torch can lead you safely out of the bush on a dark and dangerous night, Jesus leads his people as the light of the world to safety out of a dark and dangerous world. So at the very least, God being light is a comment about the way he reveals himself. And in particular, how he has revealed the way back to himself through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. It's a comment about God's guidance. 
But here in verse uh, in, in in this verse, I think it's also a comment about God's goodness as well, because that phrase that God is light, and then to emphatically repeat the same thought only in negative terms: in Him there is no darkness at all. That's not simply saying what God does; it's a statement about who God is and what His character is like. And it's in that sense that light is also being used here as a reference to God's integrity and his purity, his holiness, his truthfulness, that God simply exudes perfection and authenticity and and openness. It's actually really hard for us to relate to because none of us are like it. I mean, I don't think any of us would in all honesty be comfortable if we were to play up here on the screen a complete... Here is your life with every thought you've ever had, every action you've ever done, every fantasy you've ever had, every desire you've ever felt, every thought you've felt you've, you've had of bad other people. I don't think any of us would want that. But with God... If it was at all possible to put all his thoughts and feelings up on that screen, you could scrutinise every single one of them. You could run them backwards, forwards. They would all be transparently pure. There is nothing that God has ever done or thought that he regrets. There is not a dark shadow in him. There is perfection. In him there is not even a shred of darkness. What does it mean that God is light? Well, at one and the same time, it's a statement about his goodness and also his guidance. But here's the thing about light. When you turn a light on in your house, you don't just see the glow of the light itself. The illumination from the light also helps you to see everything else in the room more clearly, doesn't it? That's the same with the message, the truth, that God is light. It just doesn't tell us about God. It also tells us about ourselves. And that's exactly what our passage goes on to explain as John now lists three things in particular that God being light sheds light onto concerning us. Each one is introduced with the phrase, if we claim. And the first one is about claiming to be God's friend when clearly we're not. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Now, by walking in the darkness, John obviously means someone who's living in avoidance of God's light, someone who isn't a fan of God's goodness, someone who isn't a particular supporter of God's guidance that radiates from God. And yet, paradoxically, this is a person who's saying that they're a friend of God. With God. Verse 6 says that they're claiming to have fellowship with Him. So, this is the sort of person who says, You know, me and God, we're mates. Things are fine between us and God. I don't have anything to worry about when I die. Yet, they show no interest in Jesus. They show no interest in pursuing godliness. Such a person, John says, is a liar. I mean, if I was to invite you around to our place for dinner at night, And so we've got all the lights on at our house and the front porch light is on and I've got two little strips of lights leading in from the road into our driveway, like lights on a runway. 
and yet you keep driving straight past, pretty obvious you don't really want to come for dinner. Well, when the God who is light explicitly lights up the way for us to come back to him by sending his son, the light of the world, into the world, when all the lights are on like that and someone just keeps going past, they're not really in fellowship with God, irrespective of what they might think or claim. God being light tells us about ourselves. It tells us who really has fellowship with God and who doesn't. It's the one who's walking in the light. It's the one who's taking notice of the guidance that God radiates who has fellowship with him. But John keeps moving. He wants to tell us a second thing that God being light tells us about ourselves. And this one's got to do with sin. Verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, sin is not a trendy idea nowadays. We don't like admitting that we're sinful. Even here at DPC, even occasionally other Christians criticise us for talking too much about sin. It's just a bit too negative, a bit too grim. Because our natural tendency is to think that we're not all that bad. Especially so because we can usually find, we can usually find someone else who we think is worse than us. And so we console ourselves with the thought that, well, you know, hey, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But again, you see, this truth that God is light, that helps this whole issue of sin to be seen in a whole new light, if you excuse the pun. Let me illustrate what I mean. Down in Canberra at Questacon, which is the Museum of Science and Technology, they used to have this great show all about light and colour and perception. And during it, they put up on the screen two squares and they asked you to pick the white one. And that was easy because one of them was white and the other one was really grey and dark and gloomy uh, compared to this one that was pristine white. But then they take away the grey one and they put up a new square which was even whiter than the one that you thought had been white. And suddenly the one you thought had been white, it now looked all grey and dirty and dull and again they asked you to pick the white one And again, it seemed a pretty easy choice. But then they do the whole thing over again and they put up an even whiter one and then the one that you thought was whiter than the one you'd previously thought was white, now it looked really dark and grey and it just kept going time after time after time to show how relative our perception of white light can be. It's the same with sin. Of course, comparing ourselves to other sinful people will make us think that we're not all that bad. Adolf Hitler, some mass murderer. Compare yourself to them, I'm sure you're going to come off looking pretty good. Go stand next to the God who is light for a while and then see how you look. Compare yourself to the God in whom there is not a shred of darkness And then see how white you appear. (laughs) Of course we're sinful. And if we claim we're not, John says in verse 8, we're just fooling ourselves. Have not come to terms with the message that God is light. But he's not finished on this whole topic of sin yet. And so he gives us a third of his if we claim type statements. 
um, verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Now this, if we claim statement, is obviously really similar to the previous one that was also about sin, but I think it's a little different. This one seems a little bit more particular and specific. The previous one was a very generalised, oh, I'm without sin, whereas this one is more particular, I haven't sinned type of idea. And I think that this one, whereas the previous one was more about our general sinful nature, this one's more about specific sinful actions and how we have this capacity to think within ourselves that we haven't committed a particular sin even when we have. One of the popular ways we like to do this nowadays is by renaming sins so that they don't sound quite as bad. So adultery gets renamed an affair because that sounds a lot more uh, playful and harmless. Selfishness becomes standing up for my rights. Laziness gets renamed me time or setting up personal boundaries. Gossip gets renamed sharing. Greed becomes being financially responsible. Favouritism becomes friendship. Stealing from work is simply enjoying the perks of the job. But God is light. And under the piercing illumination of his purity, all of those sins just get seen for what they are. I can remember once painting out a room and uh, being a bit pushed for time. So we painted late into the twilight and into the evening just so that we could get it finished. And I remember going to bed that night feeling pretty pleased with myself because, you know, job well done, I thought, got it done. Next morning we got up in the bright morning light. It was a mess. Like we had missed spots everywhere. There were drip marks. It was all uneven. You could see the roll-up. It was just hopeless. And that's what the brilliance of God's goodness does to all those actions that we do and we rename them so that we feel a bit better about them. But in the light of God's purity, they're just sin. And anyway, John says, bottom line, no matter what you want to call them, God calls them sin. And unless you agree with that, verse 10, you're basically calling God a liar to his face. And calling the God of all the universe, the God who is light, a liar? It's not the smartest reasoning you could come up with. You're seeing how this message that God is light in whom there is no darkness at all. You see how it's not only just telling us about God and his goodness and his guidance. It's also telling us about ourselves and our lack of goodness. And our need for guidance. And it's all leading to some particularly wonderful news about Jesus. And how we need him and how he can help us. Because remember from last week, the whole reason behind this letter in the first place is to reassure Christians that they have eternal life. Uh, This is a letter to reassure followers of Jesus that they're not wasting their time by following Jesus. And This morning's passage is certainly showing us that because this morning's passage is showing us exactly why we do need to follow Jesus. It's because God is light, 
We're not. But Jesus can help with that. Which is the wonderful news that's actually been on the tip of John's tongue all the way through today's passage. Come back with me to verses 7 and 9, which you may have noticed. I've been a bit naughty and skipped over so far, but I want to go back to them because I think we're in a a better position to appreciate them. Because these are verses that explain how Jesus helps sinful people like us to have fellowship with the God who is light. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See how both those verses mention being purified. Because of Jesus. If you've got an ESV, it describes being cleansed from all sin, being bleached, being decontaminated, being rinsed of all unrighteousness because of Jesus. And it culminates in chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. In other words, all this stuff about us being sinful compared to God who is light... I'm not just saying that that you'll be resigned to the fact that you're sinful and that you'll give in to it. I want you to not sin, but I really want you to know that if anyone does sin, verse 1, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. John here is describing how Jesus Christ indeed purifies us from all sin. He describes Jesus speaking to the Father in our defence and how he is an atoning sacrifice for our sins. To atone for something means to repair it, to fix it up, to make it like new. That's what Jesus' death on the cross did between us and God. When he died on the cross, he was sacrificing himself in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve because of our sinful nature and because of our sinful actions. But Jesus takes that punishment on himself so we can be forgiven and things can be repaired. Things can be atoned for between us and God. And you see what this would have been meaning for the Christians to whom John was originally writing. He is telling them that following Jesus is not a waste of time. It's actually the best possible thing you can be doing, friends. Despite what other people might be saying to you, following Jesus is walking in the light. Following Jesus is walking the illuminated path that the God who is light has explicitly lit up so that we can come back to him even though we're sinful. Following Jesus means being forgiven. Following Jesus means being purified. Following Jesus means knowing that you have eternal life. And I hope that as you read this morning's passage, you're also reading it as a follower of Jesus as well and that you're feeling the encouragement that John was intending for his original readers. The encouragement of knowing that, yes, sin is a real problem, but as we heard last week, Jesus is a real person and therefore a real solution to the problem. And that because of him, we can be purified. 
And just as John intended this for his original readers, I would love it to, for you to feel the encouragement to hang in there as a Christian. It may not seem like it all the time, but there will come a time when you will be with the God of light because of Jesus. It may not seem like it all the time now, but there will come a time when you will be with the God of light in a place where there is no darkness whatsoever. A place of security and openness and peace and goodness and guidance and rest. More than you can possibly imagine. Although, can I just close by saying, if you're hearing all this this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're here this morning and you somehow think that you're friends with God, even though you're actually ignoring Jesus and walking in the darkness, if you're here this morning and you think you're a good person and you don't really have done many bad things that you need to be forgiven for, with the greatest possible respect, this bit of the Bible is saying that at the very best you're kidding yourself and at the very worst you're calling God a liar. Jesus can help with that. Come into the light. I'll pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are light, that you are honest, pure, trustworthy, faithful, perfect, open, forgiving. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus, our light in this world, so that we might come back to you. Thank you that because of Jesus, you have purified us. And that we can come before you with great confidence and ease and be at rest in your presence, knowing that we are your children, forgiven because of Jesus. Father, thank you for the assurance that this this gives us of being your people, of having eternal life beyond this life, for being able to look forward to a place in your new creation. Father, in all these things, we rejoice in your son, Jesus, that he might come for us. Thank you. Amen.